0: hey everyone welcome back to the mission 300 podcast i am jason here as always with brian and tommy and tonight we're continuing a bit of a conversation around truth and courage and right off the top i want you guys to hear a poem by Rudyard kipling it's called if and the clip is from robert frost motivation so check this out
1: if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for the doubting too. If you can wait not be tired by waiting. Or being lied about, don't deal on lies. Or being hated. Don't give way to hating. But out. And yet. Don't look too good. Not talk too wise. If you can dream. And not make dreams your masters. them up with worn tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of dice toss, and lose. And start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none... If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance, run! Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, um, which is more,
0: you will be the man my saw. So as we were talking about this, um, when we were looking at what to go over in this episode, this is a poem that, I mean, we have talked about, I think before yeah, on this podcast and it's, it's ring, it's rang a chord in so many themes and it's so powerful. And I'm, I'm sure you guys feel that as well, but when we're talking about courage, we wanted to move into this idea of truth. What is truth? Like that question alone, we could spend hours on. And we're going to get into some things. You might you might think that that's an obvious question to answer, and it's an easy question to answer, and that a lot of people in our world and our culture are kind of aligned on this. But what you're going to see in a little bit as we continue this conversation, it's not as stable a thing as you might think. So we're going to look at what is truth and why so many people fight against this idea of there being an absolute truth. And then finally, we're going to get to how do we align ourselves with truth and if you think those things are important then stick with us for this episode here because we're going to get into it
2: one thing that really stands out with this poem and how does this poem tie into truth and i think this is really critical because in our program um of identity strength courage and influence and we talked about courage for the last couple weeks we've lost what is the actual thing that we're going after in our world like w- what is the core thing that keeps us moving up like there has to be something that keeps drawing us up that we're in a pursuit of and uh we'll share some stories as we go forward but when i i hear this poem i see someone who's established themselves in truth and their character is flowing in that and i think that becomes this, this, uh, picture. And it was something even this poem, I, I did a little video of my son growing up when he turned 13 years old and kind of the stages of his life. And I, I did it to this, this poem. And I think this, this poem was something that's like, it really pulls what manhood. And even when it talks about virtue in there, we, we talk about virtue, um, as someone with just good character, they're kind, but the word virtue is actually a, Uh, a latin word that means manliness you're no longer a child and so now you carry yourself in a certain way but the only way to get there is to have a basis of truth that you can align to so that's how this poem is going to tie into the rest of the conversation today
0: you know as we were listening to that and i was trying to think to myself how does this all really tie into the idea of truth and you can look at all the things that it mentions in this poem and then ask yourself at the very end, why does any of that actually matter? Why do you need any of that to actually be a man or to actually be someone? Because if this isn't true, if you can just write all of this off as, well, that's, that's out of date, that's old fashioned, I don't need that. Now you can construct yourself some completely different kind of life. But what if these things are actually true into the virtue and the character of being a man? Then the game is completely different. Yeah, and and I, so there has to be something, something anchoring all that. There has to be some kind of truth underlying that for it to mean anything,
2: or to even have the endurance to want to get to that point. And I think that that becomes one of the characteristics of courage, Christianity, what our faith is.
3: I guess as I look at this poem, <clears throat> for me, coming from like a younger generation where the truth kind of seems to get muddled a lot. I guess my one question to you guys would be, how do you guys see the truth in stuff like this poem and know it to be true um, compared to stuff that the world has told us and stuff that you you grow up hearing in the news and media and all that kind of stuff? How do you guys differentiate that stuff
2: So, Tommy, can you give us an example of what you're referring to in that manner of something just something basic that contradicts this idea? Yeah, um, one example
3: I could just think of off the top of my head would be, um, for example, like going to college, like you need to go to college to be a success or you need to go to college to be smart and make a living for yourself, whereas... Um, I know many people who haven't gone to college and do just fine, and that seems to be one thing that has kind of been a lie that the world portrays, and they kind of gain off of it, too. So,
2: Great point. So how do you be this?
0: How does that poem apply to that? So near the beginning, he says, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting, too. That's what I think of there. So when I look at something specific like going to college, years ago, it was a lot more factual that if you went to college, you would get a better job. That's not necessarily the only truth, like the only way to get a good job, even 50 years ago. But it was a fact that if you went to college, you're more likely to get a well-paying job. And that could even still be true today. But there are so many people, business owners that I have worked with and talked to and learned from that either didn't go to college themselves or did, but now when they're looking for people to hire, a college degree is the last thing they look for. In fact, there was was a panel of um, just some local professionals, some CEOs and some marketing people in, in Minneapolis here that I was at last year. And one of them actually said, if they have a degree, I'm actually more skeptical at this point because I've seen so many people come to me with degrees thinking that the degree they have is proof that they know something. But I want to see if you actually know what you're talking about. I don't care what the piece of paper says because the world around us has changed so much in the last even twenty years. And so knowing that truth, if you're in a position where you know that what what is on your heart to do, college isn't the right path for that, you're going to have all these people around you doubting you and telling you you're wrong. But if you can trust yourself when they doubt you and also make allowance for their doubting, which I I think means to not try to kick it back to them and look down on those other people because they think a different way on that topic. That's the mark of, of being a man of, of standing in the truth. And it's a that's a really interesting example because that's a tough one to be in right now. And there's so many, so many people that I've talked to in the last like three or four years that kind of feel, well, I have to co- go into this college season now, but I don't want to. And yet I know I'm supposed to, and not to get on a bunny trail with that, but I think I think that's how that applies to that poem.
2: You know, it's interesting, um, Barna, um, and I'll post this link of an article. There's a, a, an excellent article that was talking about truth of what it is and our, our cultural lo- look at it. And the Arizona Christian University um, under the direction of George Barna, they did a survey to discover the historic understanding of what truth is. 58% of Americans agreed that identifying moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to every person all the time. I just want you to ponder that. 58% of Americans do not believe there is a moral truth that applies all the time the only group in society that did not have a majority holding in this opinion was evangelical born again christians yet of that group 46 to 48% of them believed in the idea that it's personal truth not an established truth so even among that group half of them almost half of them still believe that truth is Adjustable, and it's personal. Thirty-three percent of committed Christian leaders agreed there is no absolute moral truth. Here's why I'm bringing up the Christian leader side of it. Christianity was supposed to be based in truth. H- how do you have any belief system that has no truth? How do you get there? Like, w- w- why would I would agree? with those that look at the church and are apathetic towards the church or discount the church, if 33% of the leaders do not believe there is an absolute moral truth, why would I waste my time being a part of that? So just ponder that. Only 42% of Americans reference God as the basis of truth. Now, for those who don't believe in God that are listening to this and are lean away from that, I'm, I'm just listing what the facts are so we can get to this point. But it's very important that even under those that would, you know, we're, we're called a Christian nation, but only 42% believe God is the basis of truth. Among Catholics, only 43% saw God as the basis of truth, and only 37% of mainline Protestants do so as well. Adults under the age of 30 were less likely to select God as a basis of truth at 31%. So those under 30, only 31% believe God is a basis of truth, compared to 45% among adults. Here's what all that means. When we are trying to come to a conclusion and solve a problem, or to bring up an issue, or to deal with a cultural norm, How do you have a rational conversation when we're not basing it on a truth that we're arguing to get to? We all have a different truth, and this is the. And again, I'm going to post this article uh, in the in the description below. Here's what the author concluded: since there is no one no one agreed upon standard for moral truth, we hold nothing in common to which we can appeal to settle disputes. How do we even come to a dispute resolution when there is no basis of what's true? I, made a, I might point to a biblical teaching or to a particular secular law, but you could come back with, that is your truth, but I don't accept it as my truth. The argument is at a stalemate. There is no way to resolve it. This is a contributing factor to the gridlock and endless conflict in our society and government today. And boy, do we see that right now. Everyone's making an argument for something, but there is no standard of truth to base it. So how do you even resolve anything? You brought up the college. That's just kind of a cultural thing that we do. But how do you base it? What's the truth of that? And so this is the dilemma that we're in, that here's the reality. We don't know what truth is. And if you don't know what truth is, we're just a bunch of blind people wandering around trying to make something comfortable out of darkness.
0: So I actually don't think you can have a kind of, I don't know what you would call togetherness, a community with people that don't have some kind of similarity for establishing truth. And and the the whole 33 percent of committed Christian leaders agreeing there's no absolute moral truth. As sort of a sidebar, if you're a Christian leader and you don't agree there's an absolute moral truth, you might want to stop putting the label Christian in front of you as a leader, because I don't think you can actually be a Christian leader and not believe that God establishes a moral truth. The whole the whole idea to say
2: Christian means that you follow Christ. Which means you believe Jesus is the way, that He's the truth, and that He's the life, and th- no one could come to the Father except through Him. So this pathway, to even say that it would just be better off just to say we believe in good moral philosophy, and we want everybody to feel feel well, and we know there's a God that exists. That would be a much more truthful answer.
0: So the one of the crazy things about that that whole study to me was the 33% of committed Christian leaders saying there's no absolute moral truth. And I don't know that you can actually call yourself a Christian leader and not believe that God or Christ, which, spoiler alert, is in the name Christian, is the one that establishes moral truth as an absolute rule. I don't know how you can call yourself a leader. and I know it's kind of a cliche to say that. We throw that around a lot when we're fighting amongst ourselves and in different denominations but it's it's crazy to me that you can be a christian leader and not say god is the source of absolute moral truth that's where i think the entire starting point has to be is there someone that created the world yes god our father so by default he gets to establish truth what isn't truth how the world functions, how it doesn't function, things that can happen, things that cannot happen, things that are okay and things that are not okay. But if you don't have that same belief system, then I don't think you fit into that category of Christian. And I think there's, there's some things. And Tommy, I want to get your insight on this too. There's, there's some things that I don't think most people have taken the time to to mentally walk down themselves like what is truth what do i believe about this like take a specific issue what do i believe about this why do i believe it and how strongly do i believe it like if i believe this thing this action or this thing is wrong to do because that's what i that's what the bible says that's what god says how strongly do i hold to that what if i'm in a meeting with these 33% of committed christian leaders and they're all saying that i'm wrong how do I hold to that? How, how do I actually hold to that when everyone around me is fighting against it? Or maybe that's why we spend so much time avoiding the idea that there is absolute truth and that there are things that are wrong. Maybe that's why we avoid it.
3: To me, I, as sad as it is, it's really not surprising that that many people like, think that there is no moral absolute truth. Um, I guess just coming from like a background of growing up in the church if you don't know where a preacher or a teacher or pastor is getting what they're saying to you like where they're getting that from you have no idea what you're basing your truth on and so one thing that I think is just it might this just might go off in a completely different direction but people don't know what is in the Bible. And so when you hear people who are an authority or good moral teachers talk about certain subjects, they become the Bible in a sense to you. And so I think that's one of the things that I guess is just, it's worrying to me, but it's also like, that's where I see how that can happen. Cause like, Growing up in a Christian home and Christian school, like I've said before, you know, I could say all the Christian stuff, I could say everything you wanted to hear, but I didn't know what the truth was really behind it until I went to the source of the truth. And then that's where I could be like, whoa, like, what people were saying over there, what I was saying over there, that was not right. Although it sounded good and everyone was like, yeah, amen, that's great. Yeah. But no, that's just not what the truth is.
0: Do you think most people are are like that to where they'll hear something and be like, "Yeah, that's great. That sounds like a biblical thing." But then if they actually see the opposite in the Bible, they would truly change their opinion cuz I'm in my experience I'm a it's been a bit more skeptical because it seems that a lot of people are arriving at their their truth and their belief system for whatever reason And then if and when they're confronted with something in the Bible that contradicts it, they almost go looking for a reason not to believe that. There's a lot of people out there like you that are like, you know what? I was wrong about this. Let me change my mind on this.
2: I mentioned on the last, last podcast, I was managing at a large electronics store. And at the store, we had a huge diversity of people, everyone from different walks of life. I was actually the only Christian in that group. And we had everything from everything, every culture, every race, every sexual orientation. We had everything. It was a great environment to work in, though, because everyone was unique to whatever they were. So you had to learn how to figure out how to work with each other to to get to a common goal. But the, the upside of it was people were free to share whatever their thoughts were. And you could interact well. I had this one guy. We we were friends, and we we did a lot of work together, and we'd split sales and do things to try to enhance our uh, how the how the store ran and how our sales were working. And but he was an amoralist. He didn't believe there was any morals except what you felt was right. So you just need to do what you feel is right. And so it's all based on your feeling. And he would tell me this all the time. And he would ask him about Christianity and he would just mock it. And he goes, there is no truth. It's whatever you feel is right. It's whatever you feel is right. But it wasn't a conflict between us. It was just ideas. And, but one day it just hit, it hit an impasse where it's, I, I got tired of hearing it. But on that same day, he came up to me and he was telling me how a salesman stole his sale. It was a huge commission. It was a big, it was a big audio sale. And this other salesman snaked it out from underneath him. The customer came in, you generally have to find the salesman that was helping them and then you reconnect them. But this sales guy didn't do it. He just went and sold it all to him. The salesman saw within the, in the receipts that this, this customer bought all this stuff and he didn't get part of the sale and he didn't get told about it. So he came to me, and said, you have to do something. This is wrong. He stole my sale. He can't do this. And I had listened to this guy for so long telling me about there is no morality it's what you feel is right and you know what i didn't want to violate his belief system so i went to the guy that took the sale and i said do you believe you stole the sale of this other salesman and he said no i don't believe it so i looked to this other salesman i said well i don't want to violate your beliefs that everyone has a moral compass and they do what they believe is right. He doesn't believe he stole your sale, so therefore I can't. In, not, in order to not violate your beliefs, I can't give you the sale because he doesn't believe it. Now, if you wanted to believe that there was a moral right and wrong that is consistent, I could probably help you. But I don't want to go against what you're believing, and we walked away. He never brought up his morality ever, ever again on the sales floor. And it wasn't because I was trying to catch him, but sometimes we have all these ideas until the rubber meets the road. And then we want something absolute. We want something true. And it was, it was an eye opener. And actually it really changed our relationship that we had a whole different conversation about that. And the reason I'm telling you that story is We get so much into the argument on the surface over issues, and there's times that we have to argue those points. But if we can't slide down to a baseline of what the other person is basing their reality in and deal with it from that level, or choose not to deal with it, that there is just no conclusion, we're really wasting a lot of energy. And I think that if poem really highlighted that is when you stand in truth, you give leniency to those that don't have it. You if they hate you for it, you don't hate them back. If they if they take your truth and twist it and and try to create it to come back at you, you just move on from that. Because they're trying to get you to move off your truth, but if you know it's true, you just stay to that truth. And in time it will play out. And that's just a kind of a great picture, but our world is so much more like that. Like everything is like that. We want. To do whatever we want but when we want it to be true then we all of a sudden want this morality to pop in and it doesn't work life doesn't work like that you either have to have a morality or don't have a, have a morality but you can't just flip-flop and think you're going to actually build harmony and build relationships and build something that's stable and concrete
0: so how how do you find the balance between that kind of approach which obviously was was beneficial and worked and was the right one we'd all say but but at the same time when you know something's true there's there's almost something inside of you that screams this is true and people are lying about it and i want the truth to be out there and so how do you find the balance i guess between wanting that truth to be revealed and being sick and tired of all the lies that contradict it and pollute it Versus that kind of maybe a confident calmness where you don't feel that you have to go and convince everyone that you're right. Do you know what I mean?
2: It, it could be that it flows from the idea that we become deeply convinced of something, but I, I've noticed even on those that are deeply convinced, they're deeply convinced based on the, the ideology of it, but not deeply convinced inside. And so there's something that makes you feel awkward when other people don't believe. And I, I think this is really highlighted um, in John, which we'll get to in a minute, of Jesus uh, Jesus conversation with Pontius Pilate. If there's not a calm in you, there can be a veracity in you. There could be a passion in you. There could be a strength in you. There there is sometimes where you just you, you're not bending on it, but you're not getting into where it's personal to you. It's not that a lot of people want to convince people because it's a personal win. I won that conversation. I, I had victory there. I persuaded someone. You didn't persuade anybody if you come at it from that point. But the saving grace with me and my, this guy I worked with was the fact that we did have a relationship and there was something that we did like about each other. That was why I could get by with this. I don't know if I would do that. It'd be more vindictive if I did it to someone else. Um, and just so you know, I did help them make some new sales and we we helped recover some of that. So it wasn't I was I wasn't trying to be vindictive and show a gotcha, a gotcha. It was more of I wanted to expose your conversation is not helpful to anybody. But because we had a real there was something built on that we did like each other and we had a relationship, and that is how I could get by in doing that particular thing. So we found a common ground. Well,
0: and doesn't that also on on a Big level expose his entire way of living. Like for him to be confronted with that, like, hey, if you're going to take your belief seriously, like you've been telling me all this time, then this is the result of it. This is just the logical and reasonable outflow, the end result of your way of living, your belief system. So this is just what happens when we apply what you want everyone to believe to everyone around you. And then you kind of get a taste of your own medicine, kind of a thing.
3: Was so is the issue here that? people don't actually live out what they see as the truth and it creates like a just an idea of truth that they never actually embody and live out which then when challenged they're like oh then they're like you know like this guy was caught you know and like uh what's actually true he knows what that there is morality that there's right and wrong but based on what he believes is true, he can't say that because why do you think that is? Like what, is it just people believe a lie and they never live it out or how does that work out?
0: I think for most people it's, it's. And I don't want to use the word selfish, but I'll use the word selfish. So if there's no absolute moral truth, then I am quote unquote free to do what I want to do. But then when I'm confronted with the fact that everyone else gets to do that and what they do might negatively impact me, then I don't like it so much. And I have yet to see any human being in the world who actually believes there is no moral absolute truth live that out. Because the second they're confronted with someone that believes something different, it's, I need to attack that person and tear them down. Like, it's it's just... It it makes no sense, but it's not a reasonable thing. It's more of a emotional, selfish response, and and if we're being honest, it's kind of an immature thing. It's a lack of maturity. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to have to confront it or grow or admit I might be wrong on something. Because if I'm wrong, that means you know it's embarrassing to be wrong, especially in front of the rest of the world.
2: And could you sum it up that we want to live the way we do but we do not want to have to be personally responsible for that so this really in that manhood becoming a man becoming a mature adult you now own the responsibility of all your decisions and our world we've shaped fatherless child world that we get what we want but we don't have to be responsible and the moment we have to be responsible we get a bigger group to bring that truth down that's holding me responsible, we have to tear it down. So I continue to do what I believe is right, but it's really, I get to do what I believe benefits me versus someone who's responsible no longer thinks about themselves. It means every action is now affecting other people and you have a different view. And I I think you see that in the poem, that, that going from a child to a man. And we've eliminated that whole concept out of the development of our world hey tommy we will you read the the passage where jesus is interacting with Pilate? because i think this gives you that if statement here is the truth facing opposition and how is it handled in that moment so john
3: eighteen thirty seven in the esv says then Pilate said to him so you are a king jesus answered you say that i am a king For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him.
2: I want you to catch what Jesus is doing. He's not declaring himself as a king. Pilate is saying, so you say you're a king. And Jesus said, because that word for means not know, but it, it defines, I'm not here for this, this is what I'm here for, is to reveal the truth and bear witness of who the Father is and the truth. And at that state, next statement of Pontius Pilate is the question our world is really wrestling with. What is true? I want you to think of Pontius Pilate just for a moment. He has the pressure that if there's an uprising in Israel, because they've already had multiple uprisings, his career uh, could be his life. Everything is in jeopardy if there is an uprising. So he has to appease the political side. Then he has to appease those that are bringing all the problems, because he wants to keep it toned down. Then he has to face someone that he sees as innocent and deal with that so he's trying to wash his hands of anything so he could be free his his wife has a dream says this is an innocent man so now he's feeling pressure at home and I, this this statement almost seems like a frustration point it almost seems like an antagonism but yet there's a deeper question what is the truth all of this is quote unquote true i got to deal with all this what you're saying what 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 is the truth this is the question that is being resolved but when jesus is standing there communicating think of that poem if he's not angry at pilate he's not mad at the people who brought him there he is not trying to make himself good he's not defending himself he's just stating this is what i am you're trying to make me into something that if i say i'm a king Then I'm trying to overthrow Caesar. You're the one saying I'm a king. My kingdom's not here at this point. And so he's walking through all this, but he's not defending himself. He's actually being the picture of strength. And it is moving Pilate to not know what to do. I don't know what to do. He's not guilty and he didn't do something wrong, but I don't know what truth is. So it's a way to kind of wash your hands of that whole scenario, which he literally did wash his hands of the scenario, and he put it onto the Jews. He said, the blood's on your hands.
0: It's interesting to think about it that way, because on one hand, we look at this, we look at a war between a truth and a lie. So is Jesus a king or is he not? And you pick one of those sides. But what Pilate does, and I think what the vast majority of people do today is you just avoid it then. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not going to stir the pot. Someone brings up something that I know is wrong. I'm just not going to go there because I don't want to get involved with all. And there's, there's times to be tactful and you don't need to walk around just seeing what kind of, you know, can of worms you can dump out on people. But at the same time, have we gotten, have we let, I guess, our, our desire to be tactful and loving turn into complacency and passiveness and. Just letting people believe what they want to believe and it's fine. Don't have to worry about that. Has that really done more harm than good? I wonder. Cause you, I mean, think how many people have to, how awkward does it have to get for you before you will stop standing up for the truth? How much pressure does there have to be before you keep your mouth shut? And I don't ask that sarcastically. Like that's probably a healthy exercise for everyone, everyone to walk through. Instead of trying to deal with it in the moment, because spoiler alert, you're going to face things in the world that are uncomfortable, where you might have to either stand for something or stand to get something or keep your mouth shut. And it's helpful to think about what you're going to do and how you want to respond beforehand.
2: So would you say
3: then that real love is living the truth and showing that to others? How would you then do that in a sense without offending or without... Ruining relationships. How does that play out in life? Because I think that's one of the things that I have the hardest time dealing with. Is I want to love everyone and I want to show God's love to everyone. I don't want to burn any bridges. I don't want to hurt anyone. But like the truth
2: is still the truth, and the truth hurts. So how do you deal with that when dealing with people? Great question. But I think we. We used a word earlier that is more important. Are you loving people, but the reason you act a certain way is to protect your self-interest? And the poem is so profound that we've played at the beginning because in the poem, it says when they hate you, don't give in to hate, but you also have to be able to risk everything. So if they take everything away for you standing, then you build up. And you rebuild, and in one of the, the, the lines, and you don't say a word about it, you just rebuild. When you remove self-interest, and you truly look at people, not as an irritation to you, but as someone that God is actually pursuing and wants, it changes how you view things. You will speak truth, and it might temporarily have a backlash. Or you may say nothing and just be there. When people want you to say something, defend yourself, defend yourself. You you can't put the action as a definitive of how to handle something. When your core truth is and you don't have self-interest, or you you basically start dying to your self-interest that you're willing to lose it all because the truth matters more to you, how you treat people is way different. How you affect people, even when I gave the story of the salesman, I really liked him. And I knew he, there was going to be a backlash no matter how I handled this. I was either going to get a backlash from the other salesman who who I knew snaked the wholesale. Like I, there was, it, we knew what he did. And and I dealt with him later in different different ways, but I had to come to the point where I actually do care about these people, even if they don't care about me. And then when you start dealing with it, it actually starts bringing life from that whole whole arena and i think that's where if we get the stability this is true and my value comes from what's true not from anything else and that is a maturing it is hard getting to that point because even your family at times can reject you for holding to the truth but there's not a bitterness and an envy and a and a struggling to convince people of that it's just true and when you walk it out things happen it could be I mean, think about how many generals went into war. Wars happen with people holding to the truth, and wars happen with people fighting against each other for the bitter envy. So in every scenario, this is taking place. But we've lost that maturing of owning the responsibility and stabilizing to something. But if there's nothing to stabilize to, and we can just change policies to make everybody feel good, so there's a difference between loving and caring and having compassion, and making people feel good. Feeling good is just reinforcing that. I don't mean make people uncomfortable constantly just to be an abrasive piece of sandpaper. I'm just I'm just saying we we have to define what those things are which is why it's going to take more in the podcast to get to the truth because there's truths even in that that are that are characterized but if you remove yourself take the personal responsibility that you're responsible for your actions and you're held accountable to it and you remove that your actions, you could lose everything for doing it, and you're willing to do it. And then you pick up the pieces and you start all over again, if that happens. That's living in that maturity of that truth.
0: I think like you were saying, there's a difference between offending someone as a result of, you know, simply holding to the truth, versus offending someone as a result of you running around looking for a way to offend someone. Like, it, and Jesus was a great example of this too. There's two parts or two times in, in his in his ministry where at one point his disciples come to him and say, hey, you know, the Pharisees were offended by what you just said over here. And he says, let them be. They're the blind leading the blind. Or I don't care if they're offended by it. I'm just speaking the truth. And if they're offended by it, then they're offended by it. But then later on, um, there's another scenario where Peter tells the the church leaders or the temple leaders at the time that yeah Jesus totally pays this kind of temple tax and then he comes to Jesus and says hey do we pay this and then Jesus says so we don't offend them go catch a fish there's a coin in its mouth so in that time he was he's not looking to offend people but he's also never going to compromise the truth and the word and i think that's the biggest difference for us is am i am i trying or am i in this situation and is it going to be uncomfortable because i'm Holding to the truth, or can I check my motives a bit? And maybe I'm just feeling kind of froggy today, and I want to fight somebody on Facebook because I'm sure we've all felt both of
2: them. Which is where the term trolling comes in. It's almost like you're baiting someone into into the fight, but it's really a you know what's crazy is really a self interest that's,
0: that's actually become in some circles. We don't have to talk about this too much, but in a lot of real circles, trolling is not looked at as i don't want to say this i have friends and family members that proudly labeled themselves as online trollers where that's what they do and they love doing it and it it gives them a little rush when they get a like or uh, a comment on something or a start an argument on twitter with someone because they're just out there trolling that's a real thing total sidebar there but i, I think we're we're missing we're missing
2: things and there's different environments there's there's different times to do different things. And again, that's what's important. You can't, you can't label what the action should actually look like. Because there is times to do certain things that you normally would say, probably not the best thing to do, but it fit perfectly within the scenario necessary. But again, a, a motive has to change. Because when we know Jesus as the truth, there's a motive. We get to know the Father. What, what is the Father's whole mission? Is to rescue his children. He wants them to see. He wants them to come to understanding. He wants them to receive him. He wants them to have life with him. That's his pursuit. So that's his pursuit. But we see all these different actions through history. And you could be like, see, God's wrath was coming. Well, wrath came because he loves, right? If you truly love something and something happens and you have to defend or protect, there's a wrath that comes and, but it's not a wrath of, I'm just angry. It it It's something different. It has a deeper tone. We, that's a whole nother, another time, but I'm just, I'm trying to say that there's different actions that correspond, but if we can remove the conversation about what is the action and we get down to the truth, you'll know what the action is. This, th- there's a fruit that comes from knowing the truth. And that's, where I think this world is desperate. So let me just tell you a quick quick story that just happened. So uh since April we've had four individuals and then on Sunday five individuals that knew nothing of what we would call truth. They have grown up in absolute different belief systems, culturally, religiously, everything is completely fundamentally different. Than my way of thinking. And they have come saying, I want to know God as a father. I want this truth. And it really has baffled me. It's like, well, don't you? Why? And they said, because they want something to anchor that's unmovable. And their lives have radically changed. So they adopted to a truth. And now there's a fruit flowing. From that truth, and they know it's going to cost them everything. They know it's going to cost friends. It's going to cost thinking. It's going to cost community. But they're so desperate to know what's true, they're willing to give up all of that. And even we we had a man that came from uh, an absolute communist country, grew up in it, worked in the government of it, and has recently come, and he knew nothing. He found one verse, the Lord's Prayer, 10 years ago. But in his country, you're not allowed to have any belief system except the belief of the country. But deep down, something kept drawing him. So for 10 years, and he finally got out, and there is a depth of, I finally found truth. Jesus is truth. Like, I see it. And he said, people don't understand what I'm saying because when you're not allowed any truth, but one thing, and you finally, your heart comes alive because you see something that's way bigger than that. And as I'm listening to these people's stories, it's bringing me to back to that Barna research. Why in America are we so confused? Why in Western world do we have all these random thoughts? Because we've never had it where you're not allowed to have light. If you've lived where you're not allowed to have light and you see a glimmer of light, something is drawing you into that. But we have all these imaginary lights all over so we could do this, we could do that, we could have this feeling, we could have that feeling. And I'm really being changed in seeing something way different in when someone is desperate to know truth. And that was his comment. I just wanted to know what's true. I mean, just ponder that. He knew everything he lived in was a lie. He knew they all lied. He knew everything was a lie. And they just twisted whatever they wanted for their benefit. That was the world he lived in. I just want something that's true. And if it costs me everything, it costs me everything. I just want something that's true. And I think that is a great highlight into this this
0: idea. I think that kind of answers the question, how do we align ourselves with the truth? You have to love the truth more than you love any other comfort that you're getting from the world around you. If you don't, you'll never commit to it.
3: And when you stop loving the comfort and yourself and the relationships you get because of your self-seekingness, that's when people really see the truth in you.
2: And it also goes with that verse, those that love their life will lose it. But those that lose their life will gain it because the the deception is if I give up, I'm not going to I, I'm going to lose too much. And the fact is you have no idea you're giving up something that what you're gaining is the thing that makes your heart come alive. That's how you become an adult. It's how you become a man is that goes. And now there's this stability of life. Can you imagine living where you just weren't bothered by people's words about you, that you could live, even if no one liked you, you could be stable and secure and solid. That if they took everything away, you could you would just go back to rebuilding again without complaint. You would just stand firm, you could say say the truth, you could move. Think about how freeing of a life that is. Nothing is held over you. But even when we're coming to the truth, we could keep saying, Well, you're you're talking about the truth. I do believe the truth. I have given my life to this truth. I've given my life to this truth. A truth. There's only one truth and it has to be consistent through the ages, consistent through time. And I want to make this one distinction um, and let you guys kind of close out the comments on it. There is a difference between us sitting on this call and there's things we're going to disagree about. It sounds like we're all in agreement, but we all have different perspectives. I could probably look at Tommy and say, Tommy, you know, there's probably a better way. And Tommy could look at me and said, you know, Brian, there's probably a better way to communicate that idea. And Jason, And we can find things in life that we disagree on. And there's a lot of them. But because we all want to come to the same truth, that truth is forcing our conversation up. So we agree on the truth, but we're trying to learn perspective and our positions of coming into that truth that is consistent with who we are and being able to have that conversation. So I want to make the distinction, knowing a truth, and being solid in it and agreed on the truth does not mean you won't now rustle through the ideas of the application of that truth. That is part of our growing. We need to do that. The application is going to be radically different between your calling, what your bent is, how you look at life, where you're being sent to, uh, your your role in life, your purpose in life. We all That could be all different, but we're in agreement on the central truth that we have to know the Father. And the only way to know ourselves is by knowing the Father, and that can only come through Jesus Christ. That's what holds us all together. Now we wrestle through a lot of the other things, but those are our anchor points because we have a baseline of truth. One thought
3: that I just had while you were speaking there was going back to somewhat of an identity. Um, When you come up with your own truth and someone goes against that truth. It's not only an attack on the concept itself that you believe in, but it also comes as like a an attack against who you are because you've let that truth really ingrain in you. And so I think that's gonna be my biggest takeaway from this whole conversation is just knowing my truth comes from someone greater. Mm. So when people attack me for what i what I believe is true and what I know is true, they're not attacking me they're attacking God in a sense and he can handle that and he can deal with that. I just need to be there and give up that relationship if that's what it needs
2: to be mm. great perspective
0: you're you're exactly right on that and one of the one of the I would guess sneakiest tactics that I've seen in the enemy the last like decade or so I guess if you can get someone to believe a lie, but wrap it up as part of their identity, then they will fight it for you. So if I can convince you of a lie, and it's not just what you believe or what you think or your perspective, it's your identity, it's who you are, then you will fight tooth and nail, kicking and screaming against any form of truth because it's trying to come after who and what you are. That's why identity is the first pillar of all of this. That's why it's the most critical thing because... You don't get to make your own identity or you can try and it's probably going to end very poorly. Like we've all been there, but the feeling like speaking from personal experience, the feeling of just relief and freedom you get from letting go of that and accepting the identity that your father places in you is better than anything else you can try to construct any group you can associate with any friend circle, any, any community at all, like having to let go of communities to walk in and accept the identity from God, your father, it's way better. It's way better. And it can be freaky at times to take that step and to start to have to unwind and unpeel how all these different beliefs are intertwined in your life. But I am telling you guys, it is so worth it to do
2: and it doesn't mean you don't get to interact with them later it's just you're removing your identity from that group yep. that's a very big distinction in the next podcast we'll go we'll we'll spend more time on okay how do we get to a core truth and how do we start seeing it and how do we start anchoring to it and and again what is truth so we kind of started that conversation but it's going to take a couple podcasts to uh, unpack that of how do you grow in that and and how do you how do you find that and it will start peeling back why Jesus spoke in parables, and it will start peeling back some of the characters of old and our, our mosaic of history of the, of the ancients that went before us that started laying this, this passage for us, for us to see. And it, it's, you, we grow in truth, right? But, but we have to have some anchor points to begin doing that. And then how do we interact to the world around us?
0: We appreciate everybody being here, tuning in each and every week. I know the world is crazy right now, but you've got what it takes to make it through. So until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.